Get in the cart. Right at us. The best in the business, Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast. I love hearing Roger Cleveland every intro. How do you think he's doing, Andy? I've, I've heard he's doing pretty well. I think he's doing fine. Yeah, I don't know if they're uh, traveling much uh, yet, but uh, yeah, I heard he's, heard he's doing well. Love it. Ben Hutchison alongside Andy Michelson, another episode of The Party of Four here at Mistwood. And now we're into August, so I wanted to start off with a little maintenance, Andy. Okay. A lot maintenance of, people, of your own game? <laughs> well, I have, since the last podcast we had, I've golfed, I think, three times here at Mistwood. So I've gotten my feet back under me here, which is nice. Uh, still a lot of swing, things to work on, but I know I'm not alone with that. So I wanted to ask you, because my game is, I'd say, in shambles for what it is. Um, I wanted to ask you, this time of year, people have been grinding good, bad, all spring, summer. What are the top three things you'd like to work on about your golf swing or your game or is it in your head? What would you do at this point if things are going wrong? You got the gips. What's happening? So at this point in the year, you've got your new equipment. You've got kind of all those bases covered that you wanted at the start of the year. Um, for me, it's really kind of getting in that comfort zone. I would I would want to enter into the next three months just feeling comfortable with, with my equipment, comfortable with my golf swing, making sure that, you know, I, I like to work on short game a lot. I think as uh, as we get into the... Uh, late summer and fall, the conditions change. It gets a little drier, a little firmer, a little faster. So just taking like those kind of things in, into account, uh, making sure that my chipping is kind of tuned in as far as a firmer, uh, firmer surfaces go. Putting greens tend to look, get a little bit faster in the Midwest here as we get from here in through September, just because the conditions dry out. So just doing little things like that to uh, to react to the conditions and make sure I maximize my game as best as possible. Any specific drills you would do as far as short game? I mean, my absolute favorite drill in the world for short game, uh, especially chipping, is the flamingo drill. And it's basically you stand on on your front foot and you put your back, you touch uh, calves of your back leg and your front leg so you look like a flamingo. And you chip from that position, and you lose your balance. And here's the key. This is the key to everything. You lose your balance towards the target. So if you fall backwards, you know that you're going too much backwards on your chipping motion. If you fall forward, you're correctly falling kind of towards your target. So what this does is when you put both feet on the ground, and I'm a big advocate for keeping your feet very close together when you chip, when you put both feet on the ground, you'll get the sensation of going towards the target. Think of every other sport you play, and we we beat this point uh, home a lot in short game. Every other sport we play, the simple dynamics of throwing a ball, kicking a ball, everything we do is towards our target. And so just getting your orientation of your body moving towards your target and and actually opening a little bit as you're doing that. Think of, you know, if you're throwing a ball, your target isn't 90 degrees squared to your target when you're throwing it. It's starting to open a little bit. It's starting to move forward. So that orientation that you have in other sports where everything's going forward and everything's starting to open up to your target is very important with little techniques like chipping. I attended one of the magical Michelson member clinics out there. It hey, was Chris was there. 
I know. Well, I had to leave before that because I was, you know, back and forth between responsibilities. So you and Chris would host these member clinics out there. Mm -hmm. It was Friday mornings, two, three, four hours. I swear they were endless, but your guys, the info you're given, the knowledge you're giving, I learned something right away. And you said you like to keep your feet together when working on your short game, you know, whether you're chipping off the green or up to what, 75 yards or whatever, like you're kind of keeping your feet together because I was always trying to be like almost baseball stance, like bending my knees. And you're like, well, you're out first mistake right away. Yeah. With, with short game, especially you want the feeling or the sensation of being more forward because you're, you're not taking a full swing. So there's not the shift of weight to your back foot, to your front foot back, you know, back and forth. There's, there's really not a shift of weight there. So you're cheating the system and, and it's not necessarily leaning your entire body to your front side. It's really just more of kind of a push of, of especially your lower body. You've got to kind of cheat that way because you're not taking a full swing. So what people that don't cheat that way and don't get their feet close together tend to do is if I have a very wide stance, my body naturally wants to balance on that wide stance. So in chipping, that's a disaster because if you have a wide stance and, and the club's starting to move down and you're actually, your body's actually going backwards or away from your target, hello, fat city, right? Fat or thin city. A person that's fatting it or thinning it and, and chipping, I'll guarantee 99% of the time it's bad body motion. It's not going towards the target. It's not necessarily technique of the swing. It's almost always the sequencing of the body. What's the body doing? What's the, is the body going towards the target? Another really easy way to, to think about it too is, is how my head moves. You know, making sure that your head stays on the front side of the golf ball is very important. Your eyeballs are on the front of the golf ball. You know, think of think of the body motion of like Annika Sorenstam or Henrik Stenson, the way that their bodies kind of open up. Think of that in your chipping motion, just even in that small swing. Think of that in your chipping motion. That'll actually help you hit more more crisp chips. The last thing, the last thing chipping-wise, and I know I'm getting really deep in the weeds here. It's good. Um, Stan Utley, Roger Cleveland, you talked about this. Stan Utley, Roger Cleveland, two foremost. I mean, Roger's the greatest wedge designer of all time. Stan's probably one of the best uh, teachers of all time, but they both said the same thing. Um, think of when you're hitting a wedge shot that you're not trying to hit it with the front of the wedge. You're actually trying to, to land it on the back of the wedge. So it's like landing a plane. When I land a plane... So your wedge is the plane. When I'm landing the plane, I land back wheels first, not front wheels first. So don't try and dig that front edge in the ground. Just land the back of it. Sweep the ground. You know, as a kid, what was probably the first golf lesson you got chipping? Just sweep the grass, sweep the grass, sweep the grass. That sound you were hearing was not the front of the wedge hitting the grass. It was actually the back. So the back bottom, which is what's called bounce, or that bounce angle, make sure that we're hitting that against the ground when you're, when you're hitting a chip. Um, and that's really kind of simple key to success. Make sure we're forward and make sure that we are going in nice and shallow with, with hitting the back of the wedge. What we should do is shoot a quick video of extreme oh slow motion from um, the side to show that, that bounce. We shot that video before. And we just did recently too with one of the new um, ping products that came out, the chipper mm -hmm. that they have. And we got a little slow-mo kind of from the side and you kind of just see the way it kind of explodes off the ground and guides the ball. Yeah, so the the thing that makes a chipper different, and I think I educated you the other night on it in a little text back and forth, is the reason why chippers are so successful is because of the swing weight. So a, a chipper's swing weight or the weight of, of how the club feels is identical to a putter. So they want you to have that putter motion 
right? But then on a chipper, there's about 30, 35 degrees of loft. It's actually the loft of about a six iron is normally what most chippers are. So then it's going to get the ball up in the air a little bit, but it's going to kind of run a little bit more kind of like a, a long putt, right? So the reason they make it that way is, is basically it's a yipless, it's a yipless club because everyone can swing a putter, right? And so if you can swing a putter, you can, you can hit a chip. And I've talked about that with Nicole Jure here too, because she's notorious for using hybrids or things off the green where she just feels comfortable. You know, you're just trying to get up close, but I feel like she'd be really good with something like the chipper that just offers you that little bit of loft. Yeah. There's Unless little, it's totally different. It's one of those her things. Game. <laughs> oh man. If you don't have a, an additional digit in front of your handicap, it's hard to put a chipper in your bag. So you wouldn't <laughs> even be with your game for it having works, fun, man. for having fun. Yeah, I know it works. It's just one of those things that um, I have that extra digit in my handicap. And no, and 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 there's so many, you know, to this point. I don't care actually what your handicap is. If you don't have a use for all 14 clubs in your bag, then you need to reevaluate it, right? I see so many people that have vanity clubs in their bag. You know, guys that still have a two iron in their bag. Like, dude, yeah. when are you using that? Tell me. Please tell, please tell me when you're using that besides chipping from underneath trees. Yep. Like you're not using that club, right? So you ne- do need to make sure that all 14 clubs have a purpose. Now, if the purpose for a chipper, for instance, is to get you on the green because you tend to have the yips with chipping, I'm all in. I'm all for it. All 14 clubs do have to have a purpose. And and I'll even take it to the next level. I, I see people that are decent players that don't even have 14 clubs in their bag. Like that's a great opportunity to add, add a club that's that's very meaningful, but yeah, that that shot can be used almost anywhere. The funny thing is though, as the player gets older and older and older, they use it from further and further and further away from the green. So you'll see these guys using chippers and just hitting like sixty yard shots where the chipper just runs along the ground. Not necessarily the use for it, but uh, most of the time, if people adopt a chipper, a chipper quickly becomes their best friend. Making use of it, making it their friend. So what about Putting drills. We've talked about a couple of your putting favorites in the past, but what do you like to do out there just to overall improve your putting? I'm going to be giving like a crack the code moment, but it's so simple that <laughs> like, I don't know how people didn't like just come up with this on their own. So, and I, we talked about it in our, in our putting clinic and I, it literally took me to be a professional, a touring professional. I was playing golf for a living for a short time right after college. And it finally dawned on me, this magical thing. Guess what? If you become world-class from five feet, you become really good at all the other putts, too, on the green. Let me repeat that one more time. If you become world-class from five feet, you become really good on every other putt on the green. Because <laughs> why? No, go ahead. Just finish. No, you th- tell me why. No, I had I was totally blacking out right there <clears throat> thinking of seeing everyone on the putting green that goes and they're like, I'm going to hit these 15 footers, like practicing all the long right. putts. You see people just putting on the putting green. Right. If I know that I'm going to make that five footer, usually from 40 feet, I can usually end it within five feet of the hole. Right. So the fear, it takes the fear out of it and it puts into more of aggressive play. I mean, I, we give these putting clinics and stuff and, and I'll say, Hey, what's the first thing you think of when you're getting over this putt? Oh, don't hit it too hard or don't three putt. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> like, that is the same thing as if I have driver and I step up to the third hole out here and I go, don't hit it in the water, 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 as I'm, like, taking the club back. That's the same 
same thought pattern. And that's just a crazy thought pattern. You want to be as aggressive as possible, thinking that you're going to make every putt you have on the green. Like, why are we doing this if we're not trying to make every putt? You know, it's just one of those things. And, and it all comes back to if I feel very confident from inside of five feet, I'll feel very confident on the rest of the green. I feel like there's not a big difference between playing with confidence and playing in fear. Um, like you hit that fine line one way or the other, you're going completely oh, half empty totally. or you're going, I'm not going to hit it in the water. I'm putting this right in the middle of the fairway. I think for really good players, there's a, there's a purgatory point. There's like a, there's like a middle ground there some, somewhere where you're like kind of could go back and forth. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. There's a, there's a very, very fine line. So you need to do things to trick yourself to better prepare yourself. So <clears throat> for instance, I talk about that five foot, drill. What I accompany that with is actually preparing that way before I go out and play. So if I'm going to basically have 15 minutes before I tee off, I'm going to hit putts from 30 feet, 20 feet. We got a video for that too. I remember we did that video, we did. 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, five feet. So the last putts I'm hitting are from five feet. So what is that doing for me? It's spiking my confidence through the roof because I'm standing here over a putt that's the shortest a putt that I'm making more often and a putt realistically that I'll have in the first few holes that I have to make. So my confidence is spiking because I'm able to kind of simulate a putt that I'm going to have in the first few holes. I, I mean, how often do you get the opportunity to do that ever in golf besides hitting drivers on the range? Driver on the range is about the only club that you can you know, realistically simulate is exactly how it's going to feel on the golf course, right? Because you're just hitting it full out. But I have the opportunity on the putting green to hit from five feet and, and have that same feel of what I would what would happen on the golf course. So to to do that and have that benefit is is just crazy why more people don't don't kind of do that when they're going out and playing. I see so many times where guys are just they they'll throw three balls in the greens like you're saying, they'll hit one from fifteen feet, then they'll hit one from forty feet, then they'll hit one from twenty feet, and then say, Hey Bob, you ready to go to the first tee? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> It's like, well, what, what was that for? Like, were you just exercising? Like, well, what, what are you trying to do? There's no, there's no routine there. So, the big, the big takeaway is make sure that there's a routine there, and make sure it's a real, realistic routine that will actually help your putting. And the best way to help your putting mentally before you go out is to make as many putts as possible. So, if you feel comfortable from three feet, hit a bunch of three footers before you go out. If you feel comfortable from four feet, hit a bunch of four footers before you go out. Just make sure that you're feeling comfortable, you're feeling confident, you're seeing putts go in before you go out. Had a big moment in my golf career uh, two weekends ago. So after our last podcast, I ended up winning the closest to the pin, right? It was a group of 20 guys out there pre-wedding. Dang. I won close to the pin. It was just for bragging rights. I left my rangefinder out there. So kind of an empty, <laughs> empty feeling at the end of the day. But so did you use the shop cred on? No, did you get shop cred I need I I need to get another one. It's it's a bad situation. I wasn't going to bring it up, but then I thought of it when I talked about winning something. So the point of this <laughs> though was I won closest the pin. I was like three feet away, and I missed that putt because it was for birdie. It was three feet away. It was birdie in my head, which I don't have right. a lot of chances at a lot. Right, and I was going into it saying. I'm probably going to miss this. You got to be kidding me. The confidence wasn't there. I was so pumped that I hit a great tee shot close to the pin, got to move the old, you know, piece of metal stake up. Boom. It's mine now. That's where routine and execution, you know, matter, right? It's like the routine of just hitting 
a redundant amount of three footers, four footers, five footers when you're practicing, right? And so those become mundane routine. You've got to separate score out of those things. You know, we've talked about before shot, shot mentality. You have to be able to literally separate yourself completely from score. And now every effort is to, is to make this putt. Don't care what the score is for. I have changed so many rounds of golf in my own life. I've, and I've played a lot of rounds of golf that a good bogey has catapulted me in the same way that a good, that a good birdie does. Right. Because you're, there's, when you commit to a routine and you're out of the hole and you make that six foot snake for birdie or I'm sorry for bogey because you committed to that, there's going to be something down the road. That's actually going to be, be more beneficial for you. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Thing I'm missing is practice, but we're getting better. Right. Practice. But, <laughs> but again, it doesn't, it's, it's not like it takes you beating balls for hours a day. It doesn't take the, you know, hitting countless putts. It's like doing it in the right way is yeah. so much more beneficial than the time wasted. I see so much time wasted on the, on the practice tee. Um, that, and, and just the way that people hit range balls is completely wrong. Like rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Um, Sasha McKenzie, who is like the foremost guy on biomechanics, as far as golf swings go, he made this great point and it's stuck with me forever. I heard it five years ago. He said the same effort it takes a tour player to swing a driver at full speed is the same effort as, as it takes to lift a weight from the floor to your waist, 60 pounds. So if the, the a 60-pound plate is on the ground, the effort it takes to lift that to your waist is the same as a full driver swing. So guys that are standing there on the range team, they're rapid fire, rapid fire, yeah. rapid, fire rapid fire, right? They're going to get out of sync. They're going to get tired. They're gonna, not going to swing it the same way. So just like one, it was one of those things that stuck in my head, and I always keep in mind when I'm hitting range balls, make sure there's like 30 seconds in between it. Make sure that you're spacing those out. The whole point of hitting range balls is to try and simulate what your conditions are on the golf course. Unless you have God's fastest golf cart on planet Earth, you're not getting your next shot in 20 seconds. So try to really try to space those things out. Well, and look at where your shot goes. Think about what might have gone wrong. Maybe actually do some mental work there, too, and change it physically. Yeah, and and an important thing, too, is like when you hit that great shot, right, to three feet, like so actually good. being super aware of what you did there is so important. Like the, the positive, you know, mental frame, the, the positive like swing. Like I'm sure you didn't heel shank it or something like that to get the three feet, right? It was perfect. And it was an elevated tee box and it was like 155 out pitching yep. wedge. Yep. And it, I mean, it's hard to sometimes translate to on elevated tee boxes to green, to distance, to wind, like everything. Yeah. So for me, who's not going to overanalyze that, I was like, well, pitching wedge. But, yeah, it was just everything was perfect on it. I need to duplicate that, though. That's where I struggle. I yeah. don't duplicate that. Well, it's it's not necessarily – it's like it, you can't, there's no such thing as muscle memory, right? You can't, like, duplicate those things. But, like, putting yourself in – fully committing to the moment is what special, special athletes do, right? Tiger talked about he's, he wants Charlie to commit more than uh, breathing, right, to the, the shot, taking the surroundings and committing to that. Those are just tricks in your mind, right? Those are just tricks in your mind in order to separate yourself from the negative, right? If you get fully immersed in the, the – you hear people talk, oh, I just – you know, I got into the process or I'm working on the process, right? 
that's what they mean by the process, like getting fully immersed in what you're doing and just, just really kind of focusing on the execution of something instead of what's this for? What, what's the next hole? Like I see people like, Oh, I need to make par here. Cause the next hole I play like crap all the time, you know, like, is that getting in the moment? Is that focusing on your shot that's right in front of you? The only shot you can control? No, it's it, it, just people People get in their own way. That's the best way to put it. People just get in their own way when they play golf. And the quick tip from Frank after I told him, hey, man, I didn't have a great round. He's like, did you keep your drives in play? And did you make your putts from five feet and in? Yep. And I was like, yep. pretty much no to both, Frank. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if... <sighs> I would say in order of importance, right? Putting's one, driving's two, and those could be one and one A. Um, and then everything else kind of falls into place. I, I make this point with the juniors all the time. I mean, they just can't do math. I don't know what it is. But if I were to say, I'm going to allow you to miss half your greens. I'm going to only ask you to get up and down half of the time from those greens that you missed. So you missed nine greens, and I only ask you to get up and down half the time. What do you shoot? What do you shoot? Take a guess. 76. I know that. 76. So I'm only asking you to get up and down half, half the, time, the time, and you only have to hit half the greens. And you're in the 70s. And you're one of the better players on your high school team. <laughs> right? So when we overcomplicate this game, we get in our own way. I'll, I'll tell you what. Here's the next step. Miss every green. Miss every single green, and then I'm only going to ask you to get up and down half the time. What do you shoot? 81. Yeah. Nice high school player. Nice freshman, sophomore type score. You know, nice high school player, right? Not winning state, but you're not you're winning state, that way. but you're but you're progressing in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, it's like we just get in our own way so often. So, like when when people are telling me that they're shooting 95. Right? Yeah, I don't know. We're looking around yeah, the room. We're looking, looking around, around the room, studio here. When people tell me they're shooting 95 and they're driving in okay and putting in okay, I'm going to have to cry BS. Right? Yeah. They're not. Or they're or they're shooting 95 and they're chipping well. BS. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because you're, your standard is obviously in the wrong place. Like, if, if you're really well tuned in, especially from inside of 100 yards, you will not shoot over 85. Period. Period, end of story. So it's like the priorities are on the two ends of the spectrum, not necessarily the irons. It's the wedges. It's the putting. It's the it's the driving of the golf ball. You get a driver offline, it's, for you it's probably more of a six than it is for me it's a four or a five. Yeah. Right? But that comes down to the fact that you drove it offline – you then hit an iron, maybe somewhere scrappy up by the green, but then your short game's not tuned in enough to be able to convert that into a par. And so now it's a five or six instead of a four or five. So three putts. Or three putts. There you go. Six it's, or seven. It's missing the one before by like a half inch, and then you got to just add the extra putts on. You're doing that, let's say, nine to 12 times. So you're already 95 from 83. Like just you're adding those strokes on. Yeah. In any given round of golf. All right. Well, Let's shift over. You mentioned people getting new equipment this time of year. It's all arrived. We know how to break in a baseball glove. We know that process. Throw in the oven. Do whatever you want. It's usually repetition, too. Dunk it in a bucket of water. Tie it up. Yep. Whatever. Yep. But how do you break in the new golf clubs? How do you get comfortable with your new set of golf clubs? 
That is a great, great question. Um, I think first and foremost, you got to go out and play with them. Uh, you got to, you got to see what, uh, you know, if what you thought when you got fit was, uh, is, is happening with the golf clubs. Usually it, usually it does. I mean, golf clubs are so well, well tuned in, but as far as breaking them in, I, I think, I don't really think there's, there's that much of a, a learning curve anymore. Um, you know, shafts are made so well that, you know, shafts and club heads are, are so well tuned in. They're so much the exact same of, of what you're getting fit into that the breaking process isn't, isn't that long. You're, you're, you're not going to really struggle to, to, to break in a set of clubs. Hopefully you're seeing improvements in the spots that you want to see improvements. And that's the whole reason why you get new golf clubs, right? It's mostly just finding out the distances because ideally you'll pick up the 10, 15 extra yards. You know, the things you find during fittings. Right. That's, that's the number one thing is kind of getting, getting comfortable, comfortable. with whatever, whatever the distances are. I would say that's, you're, you're right. That's probably the, the biggest change would be the feel, maybe the four or five yards that you get, but you know, not every fitting. And it's important to note, note this too. The number one thing that we look at as far as fittings go, especially with an iron set is dispersion. Yes, yeah. distance is important, and you get the guy in there that says, okay, I want to pick up a few yards. We'll pick up a few yards fine by right shaft and head combination, but mm-hmm. the main thing that Eric and Matt are looking for is dispersion. If you yeah. if you tighten that up, up that dispersion, now what happens? We're hitting more greens. You're not having to chip so much. You're making more putts. All those good things. Totally. Right? Dispersion's huge, huge, the biggest, the biggest deal in the iron game. I love that term, by the way. All right, well, let's move on to some PGA talk. And there were 10 players this past weekend that lost their PGA Tour cards come Sunday. I'm going to read off some of the names and we'll get a little reaction. The first one was Matt Wallace, 126. He was 125th. That dude pures it. He'll probably be in the Corn Ferry Tour finals, according to his Instagram Yes, yeah, so he'll be back. He'll be back. This one was like, well, I know that name, Danny Willett. Really? Yeah. Because he played pretty good at the start of the year. Yeah, he uh, had the Masters in 2016. The exemption for that for the PGA is up now. So he's won seven times on the tour. Including, Not on the PGA Tour. Well, Worldwide. Worldwide, okay, yes. Worldwide, got it. Well, DP World Tour now. Oh, yeah. Correct. Sorry including three times since his win in Augusta. Be, soon to be live. <laughs> right. Uh, Harry Higgs lost his card. Is that? Oh, no, I'm thinking of the other guy. Oh, and then your boy, he lost his card too. You know what I'm talking about. Hold on. He, he whiffs on the tee box every now and then. Zach Johnson. Oh, <laughs> really? The next U.S. Ryder Cup captain. So he'll. So the, the fortunate thing with him is he'll, he will be top 50 exemption all time. So he's going to be top 50 money winner all time, so he'll be exempt regardless. It doesn't matter for him. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's the 14th all-time money winner. Why do you think Why do you think Phil's so hot? Yeah. Because Phil's top five. Yeah. And so he has a lifetime exemption for every PGA Tour event, so that's why he's saying it's BS that he's not able to play. So what does that mean, though? I mean, you lose your card, but you're like, well, doesn't matter. I'm exempt. <laughs> it's fine. Here's the here's my coupon. It's got to be at $60 million? Zach? Oh, I don't know. They don't have his numbers on here, but yeah, he's 14th all time, so he's up there. Uh, Rory Sabatini, Olympic silver medalist. Surprising. Surprising. Yeah. Tied for third in his second event, Shriners event, but only had one other top 25 after that, so he's kind of just floated around this year. God, what a grain. Like, I, how do you, how do you, 
how do you mentally come back from that? That's that's what's amazing. Like Rory Sabatini's had a few times in his career that's been like that, where he's had some dry spells and he's played really good. And there's guys like like Lucas Lucas Glover, perfect example. Lucas Glover wins the U.S. Open, goes on a dry spell forever, comes back, wins again. Like Charles Howell, Charles Charles Howell's a great example. Charles Howell does it all the time. It's it's amazing. These guys' commitment to what they're doing, commitment to the process, the, the commitment to the long term is is just absolutely amazing. Sometimes Charlie Hoffman, wow, qualified for the FedEx Cup all 15 of its years, but he has an exemption as the 33rd all-time money winner, which I didn't think he'd be that high, but all right. That's an interesting one. Uh, Bill Haas. Wow. FedEx champion. 2011. Yeah, FedEx champion with one of the most memorable shots ever out of the water. I remember that. FedEx champion. Wow. He had two top 25s this season. Next one, Luke Donald, former world number one. He's used both of his all-time money winner exemptions. This season, he played in 21 events and made 10 cuts. So, nothing. Sometimes, usually, if you make at least 50% of your cuts, you should be in good shape money-wise. So, he must have just limped in on all those tournaments. Yeah, Brant Snedeker. That's shocking. Nine-time tour winner. 22nd all-time money list. He still owes me 10 bucks. You want to hear that story? Sure. So, 2004, I am doing the Monday qualifier for the John Deere. So the Sunday before you go and you play your practice round, you know, Monday qualifier, right? And get paired up on the first tee of Brant Seneker. Now this guy just won the USA and Links, So I knew who Brant Seneker was. I literally watched him play in the um, uh, masters that year. Cause he got an exemption in the masters and his, uh, his blank didn't stink. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. So not. we're playing a little bit and we get done with the first hole. I think we both buried the first hole. It's just practice round. And he goes, Hey man, like I just don't get charged up playing practice rounds. You want to play for a little something? I'm like, yeah, sure. What do you, what do you want to play for? I guess I don't know. You want to play for like, like 10 bucks or something? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So I ended up shooting like 31 on the side and he's, I don't know, scraping around par. She's trying different drivers. He's screwing in all these different, you know, every, Every drive he's hitting, he's got this different shaft in, just screwing in the heads. This is when the uh, first first kind of head shaft screwable combination came out. It was the R7 quad, maybe? Something like that. R7, R9, one of the tailor-made drivers. So we get done with it. I, li- I literally beat him by like four shots. He walks off. He's like, oh, dude, I'll catch you next time. I'm like, next time when? <laughs> I'm just some... Worthless Hooters Tour pro, and you're playing PJ Tour events. Maybe he thought you were going to end up on the tour, and you'd see him someday, and he saw a lot in you. I didn't see a lot myself, so (laughs) that's pretty good. Man. Ten bucks. That reminds me of my Lee Westwood story when he's blew me off. (laughs) He's like, no, I don't have time for you. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Jimmy Walker, he's the last one on the list here. Doesn't surprise me. He's been struggling (laughs) since that Lyme disease. 2016 PJ champion. Yeah, he got Lyme disease in 2017, 2018. Yikes. And literally struggled really hard with that. So um, he's just kind of been fighting, fighting, fighting. 14 events and six cuts this year he made. Number 125 was, you know it, Ricky Fowler. Oh, Ricky. Yeah, Yeah. no. Number 125 right on the cut line. 
That's like a PR like dream at that point for the PJ Tour to try <laughs> right. to turn something positive because like Ricky's going to go to live. Ricky's going to go live. Like he's one twenty five. All right, he's in. And he's a fan favorite, and he's got that side working for him. So that's why it would technically work on the live tour too because he's got tons of fans wherever. But he's he's almost at the point too. He's grinding though. He's grinding. He's trying. He's at the point too. Like he knows where his bread is buttered as far as um, sponsors go. And long term, I mean, he's still got a lot of upside. Even though he's playing like garbage, he's still he's going to come back. He's going to come back and still be a, a, a really good player. It's cool, and everyone's rooting for him just because I think he is likable. All right, next topic was Willie Z, my guy that I have for many picks for majors that never cashes just because he always <laughs> finishes second. Uh, getting rid of his caddy, parting ways in the middle of a tournament. That's crazy, man. He's had six top tens in majors. It's not the trophy. Still looking for the PGA Tour win. He's the best golfer to not win. I'm going to guess his statement was some garbage about, like, oh, this is best for both of us. We both kind of came to the decision together. It was the hardest thing for both of us to do when it was probably just him just fired him. It was. Yeah, it was the toughest decision I've had to make (laughs) in my golf career. Ryan's a brother for life. Yeah. We've kind of had a rough month together, and it was starting to affect our relationship. Yeah, so I know guys say that when they split. At least he's admitting, admitting to it. Like Phil and Bones, the statement like each of them released, you're like, wait, so if you guys like each other that much, why are you, why are you breaking up? Mm-hmm. It sounds like you still like each other. So, I mean, that, that happens. Um, yeah, ultimately, it's it's completely up to the player, right? The 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 player's in control. If the player thinks that some, something's wrong or something's not working out, there's probably a lot of pressure from his team, quote unquote, um, to to make a change. And you know, we're not there. We're not there in, inside the ropes. It doesn't take much for for a player's mojo to be off. Honestly, it's like with a player and caddies. Part of the caddy's job is to make sure the player kind of feels comfortable. And and you know, some of that could be like joking around and stuff. And if they're having problems between them, like personally, then that joking and fun on the golf course is not is not there. And and that's a big part from a PGA Tour player standpoint. You cannot. We've talked about this before too. You can't grind for four hours. That is not. That's not golf. Golf is the the fifteen or twenty minute grind over each shot. The rest of the time, you need to take your mind off of it. You need to relax. You need to regroup, and then focus on the next thing. We're talking runner up PGA U.S. Open. He was, I think, top five at the Memorial, and then. The last month he's talking about is a miscut in Scotland, followed by 28th at St. Andrews and 20th at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So he's going to his putting coach for now. Uh, he was replaced by the putting coach, Josh Gregory. Then he'll get Joel Stock. It's hard to believe FedEx that guy playoffs. has. A, it's hard to believe that guy is a putting coach. I, the wayward putter of Willie Z. Oh, uh, it's hard to watch. He's missed these putts that would change his life. He yep. missed them. Yep. Yep. Oh, and that, uh, you talked about what's the most important thing t- to work on putting, right? I mean, I've I've had I talked about this like back in college. I missed three putts my fall fall of my senior year. I would have won four of our five five events in the fall. I would have been like one of the top ranked players. Like literally, I missed two putts that changed the whole trajectory of my college senior year. And you think about like stuff like that, or like a cut. Hey. I missed the cut by one at the Illinois Open, right? I didn't play well that whole week, but I definitely could think of a putt that I missed. Mm-hmm. I had two, three putts on the last day on seven and eight. 
like the little things, like sure up the thing that's the easiest and what should be the easiest putting and chipping. It's the shorter swings. It's all around the green. Shore that stuff up. But you had a heck of a birdie on 18 to end the tournament for you. It was a vanity birdie. That's all those vanity birdies. Momentum for the future. You know what that is? That's a Sammy Sosa. That's that's <laughs> the Sammy Sosa uh, empty empty bases fifth run home run that he used to always hit. Yeah, yeah. It was the ninth inning. They're down by eight. And he just <laughs> right. Crushes one onto Waveland. Does the does the hop? The oh. click of the feet. Oh, you stir me nuts about Sammy. I feel like I saw your reaction. You're like pretty much like, yep, that would fall right now. <laughs> Exactly. Probably how it was. Yep. Way to hit that one at perfect speed and, you know, actually have to make a difficult putt on the last hole and it doesn't matter. Good job. Well, it'd be irresponsible as a foremost prominent podcast to not mention Live Golf. Uh, next <laughs> event happening, the fourth event, the International in Boston, September 2nd to the 4th. I'm sure we'll have some other guys jumping in, but the latest after the lawsuits, you know, and everything and the 11 guys from Live Golf suing the PGA Tour. Justin Thomas taking it personally, saying they're suing me. These are my friends. I played alongside them. I've been on teams with them. So they've got that whole drama within. They do. Tap the brakes, Justin. So they got the the drama. You're kind of having Rory still be the voice of the PGA Tour and everything. But the latest rumors, the rumblings, everything we've seen tipped off is that Cam Smith is going to go. Mark Leishman's going to go. Hideki Matsuyama is going to go. And I think and they say that's after the FedEx. So Cam's going to try to collect some money here and then collect some money there. Allegedly, these are rumors. If you're the PGA Tour, don't you take those guys out to dinner this week and talk? I think you have a good sit-down with them Yeah, as your contractors or whatever you know they are these days. You buy dinner for them. Right. But, yeah, I, don't, I think with that, that would loom over the entire playoffs. Tell me this. Do you think the Live Tour has done its job as far as taking the focus off the PGA Tour? Absolutely. 100%. Like, I think it's already done its job. I, th- I think it's already done the job that it wants to do. The only, the missing piece, and the, the PGA Tour is going to fight for this as hard as they can. The missing piece is they don't have good TV rights. Yeah. That is the missing piece. They don't Streaming. need sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. And no one's going to stream that thing. They want it, They need to be on, on CBS, NBC, ABC, something. They need to do some type of deal, major deal for for TV rights. That is the missing piece, and I think that's the thing that the PGA Tour is going to fight with them as much as possible to make sure that they do not get any type of play on regular TV. I think it's kind of garbage. I've said garbage now three times. The Golf Channel. (laughs) The Golf Channel not broadcasting live highlights. Come on, guys. Come on. It's still golf. It's golf but louder. They probably don't want to pay for them. It's golf but louder. Yeah, they would hand it over to them. They wouldn't have to. They wouldn't even have to pay rights for it. It's the tough thing for me is I love watching golf. I know people are like it's the best way to take a nap on a Sunday. <laughs> like I get it. I love watching golf. If the stars all align and you, Frank, I'm watching golf. We're texting about the tournaments. Whatever. That's fun. I enjoy the majors. Watching the majors. Hundred percent. I'm not getting as excited about the week to week tournaments that I did before. But I have no desire to really watch live golf. I really don't have Wait, time to do that. But that's what <clears throat> that's what live golf has done. It's it's that's pushed, what I'm saying. It's pushed away that that focus. If you had to place a bet with me, I couldn't have told you that the FedEx St. Jude was happening this weekend. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I know some of the the later events and where the Tour Championships always at, but yeah, I've been watching this stuff. I mean, especially this time of year, it's it's a, 
it's actually a perfect time for for guys to jump. Yep. Yeah. So. And St. Jude's a big one, and I didn't know it was this weekend. Yeah. Oh, Mem- man. Mem- Memphis, terrible destination for golf. Mm-hmm. One of the worst golf cities in the country. You heard it here first. We're just going to lose our three listeners. Oh, Memphis. Memphis. Right it's nothing personal, just not your golf destination. <laughs> oh, my gosh. One of the worst golf towns on planet. It's like a couple good golf courses there, and that's I about it. I don't even know if it's a couple. I don't even know if the one they play right now is any good. I heard the food's good. Food's fine. Golf's terrible. I haven't spent considerable time in Memphis. Golf is bad. Ooh, man. I mean, for us in Chicago, not to have a regular tour event, but a place like Memphis, I understand because FedEx is there. Ooh, golf there is bad. Man, tough. Well, maybe they'll get a live golf event sometime. They'll try <laughs> to compete for that first week of the FedEx. There you go. If there's two good golf courses there. Uh, and then I just want to circle back uh, to Mistwood as we wrap this thing up. Things happening around here. We have our big club championship. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This weekend. Yep. Yeah. So we're we're excited about that. I mean, this is the best time of the year to have it. You have, you know, obviously the course is in tip top shape. It's a, uh, it's gonna be running perfect. I, I don't, I don't know if I uh, see any surprises or any dark horses in any any certain certain category. No new members that are sneaking up on me. I, I think we'll we'll be able to play the favorites. Pretty much chalk all the way through. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Those new members are like, I have to be the surprise this year to be the dark horse. There's there's a couple that could that could, could surprise me. But, yeah, usually, again, it's that 36-hole event, man. 36-hole event, usually the, the best rise at the top, cream, cream, cream rise at the top. So, just the way it is. And you talked about the golf course. I actually, it's probably two weeks ago, week and a half ago, I drove around for an hour, kind of at sunset, just to really take in, take some pictures, obviously, but take in the fescue and that glow, and the course just looks pure. I mean, people would say, oh, it's been played the whole spring and summer, but Ben and his crew have kept it in amazing shape. Everyone's like, the greens are perfect. It's everywhere it should be right now. The water's helped. It hasn't been super scorching hot for extremely long periods of time, so that's probably helped, but I think we're in perfect shape. Yeah, and that's and that's credit to everybody that plays the golf course. A golf course can only be as good as everyone that's playing it. So if you're on the golf course and you're actively fixing divots and you're actively fixing ball marks, that is huge. That is massive. Thank you, public. Yeah, that's that's the difference. That's the difference right there. You know, the as I've said before, the best of the best, the absolute best of the best clubs uh that you'll that you'll play. The reason sometimes that they're really good is they have a low amount of traffic, A, and B, they have a caddy program. And the fact that somebody is at least maintaining, that my whole point behind this, somebody is maintaining each of those greens or each of those divots that are made, and that's crucial as far as just kind of the ecosystem of the golf course. Continuously having um, the player's eyeballs on those things and actually doing the efforts to, to make the course better you can actually have 30,000 rounds of golf and, and have the course look as good as, as our course does. And that's no knock against maintenance, but we are part of the maintenance plan. Everybody that plays that golf course is part of the maintenance plan that day. Couldn't have said it better myself. Andy, this has been insightful. It's been enjoyable, as always, and I hope some of the tips people can take to the golf course with them, and they'll be a better golfer by the next time we have a podcast. Who's our guest next time? I don't know. We'll have to shake it out. That's you know. point. The bag is very full of guests. We just got to pick one. Yep. You know, do we take more of a national angle 
Do we take a local angle with our guest? Mm. I don't know. Andy, call up one of the guys in his back pocket that, you know, happens to be the CEO of a major <laughs> golf company. It's happened. Yeah. That's it's happened. Yeah. Let me, let me stew on it, but we'll have a good guest next time. I promise. <laughs> we'll figure it out and we'll see all of you next time. Thanks for listening. Get in the cart. Right at us. Oh! The best in the business. Roger Cleveland. Can't wait to get back to Chicago in this one. This is Party of Four, a Mistwood Golf Club podcast.